0: This week on the Back Table Podcast. In our shop, and, and I'm sure Sabine is probably similar for you, I'm always trying to look at how do I streamline this? How do I make this, you know, the fewest possible decisions, you know, as far as picking out what I need to do the case? Because at the end of the day, you're obviously moving really quickly. And so mm-hmm. I want to make it as the least, you know, sort of cumbersome or confusing, if you will, Uh, as possible so i mean just those are some of the things i think that just come over time
1: hello and welcome everyone to this week's podcast with backtable your resource to connect with your ir colleagues and learn tips techniques and the ins and outs of the devices in your cabinets as a reminder to our listeners our app is free to download on the itunes store or you can find us at backtable.com this is michael barrazzo returning as your host today i'm excited to welcome venu vadlamudi and sabine don to discuss their experiences in neurointerventional radiology I'm starting with, with you, Vinu, um, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about the thrombectomy devices. How did they work and how well do they work?
0: Sure. Yeah, very, very good question, especially as there is more and more that are kind of coming onto the market. So, uh, again, I, you know, I referenced the trials and the literature since, you know, we ought to have that as a starting point, um, you know, not to get too far back into to history, but to get a little bit of perspective, you know, the earliest intra stroke trials looked at things like urokinase, you know, so basically you're delivering intra clot-busting medicine, then subsequently trials that included things like TPA. Uh, the first device designed in- intentionally for pulling out a thrombus from, you know, an intracranial vessel was the Mercy device. Uh, and that came onto the scene sort of around, uh, you know, the mid-90s, mid to late 90s. And um, sort of had this sort of corkscrew shape to it, kind of like a wine bottle opener in a sense. And you you sort of deployed into and past the clot and you would sort of pull it and they had a few different iterations of it. And, you know, it was an okay device. Certainly it was a novel device. Um, and, you know, that was one of the devices that was included in some of the trials that were published in the New England Journal of Medicine ultimately in 2013. Now those trials... Uh, kind of came out, all three were in the same issue. I think it was a March issue in, in New England Journal of Medicine. Now, those th- three thrombectomy trials showed, in essence, no improvement, no benefit to intraarterial treatment, whether it was TPA, Mercy device, some combination, over IVTPA alone. And so at that point in time, the thought was that, hey, the future for stroke thrombectomy may be dead. This is the sort of nail in the coffin to doing intra-arterial work, and maybe the only game in town is IVTPA. Luckily, you know, there was plenty of people in the neurointerventional world who recognized that, no, I don't think that's realistic. And frankly, by the time those trials were being published, there were these better devices. So one main device that's currently used, uh, and, and in the interim, the Mercy device is actually no longer available, so it's really historic at this point. Uh, So one main category of devices is called a stent retriever. So in essence, you can think of it as a very flexible, you know, uh, stent that's on a wire. Uh, Originally, you know, there was a a device that was basically um, built, you know, one of the early solitaire devices. The intent was actually not for stroke thrombectomy. It was actually for stent-assisted aneurysm coiling. But, uh, you know, some of the early pioneers in, in stroke thrombectomy looked at it and said, well, maybe I can use this to actually physically grab a clot and pull it out of the brain. And and, theref- and and from there, it really, it ended up working like that. And so they've revised those devices to really specifically suit that purpose. So at this point in time, the, the two devices, now sort of a third, but the two main ones that are on the market, uh, one is the Solitaire device, which is through Covidian, which is under now uh, Medtronic, the other device is the Trevo device, which is through um, uh, Striker. Uh, as I mentioned, there are now some other ones that are coming onto the market, but those are the two main stent retriever devices that are available. Uh, the two you know, main ones thus far that have been studied the most as far as different randomized and registry trials. Uh, on the other end of things, as far as other devices, there is direct kind of suction thrombectomy catheters. And so uh, the main one that exists for that that's FDA indicated for a stroke thrombectomy is the Penumbra system. Uh, a lot of us may have experience using Penumbra in the periphery. Well, in essence, like anything that sort of started out in the brain, and they found a, a peripheral application for it, and so that works. You know, as as it does in the periphery, that you engage the clot with the catheter and you turn on the pump, and it's basically trying to aspirate the thrombus or at least capture it in the tip of the catheter and make sure that it doesn't dislodge as you're doing your um, thrombectomy. So those are sort of the two type of devices that are available and the the two type of techniques, whether with the stent
1: retriever or the aspiration type of technique. Now, Sabine, what are you routinely using and and what do you want to be using?
2: Yeah, routinely, I pretty much go to, you know, uh, Zinu mentioned the Salumbra kind of technique where I'm, I'm using a stent retriever, and uh, I'm usually using an intermediate aspiration catheter that's through a balloon guide catheter um, to obtain the clot. Uh, sometimes I'll go directly just with the retriever and the balloon guide, and uh, if it's something more straightforward or more proximal, but usually if it's a distal M1 or M2 clot, I will go with the Salumbra and the, I tend to get that quite uh quite effective get get good results with that and I we use Trevo and solitaire I typically i don't I don't have any reason for it, but i I go with the solitaire first just because that's maybe how I started off. I do like the trivo a little bit more sometimes because you can see it better, but um, that's they' they they're 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 designed differently where one stent is closed cell and the other one has a slit in the middle, but they they both work pretty effectively. I'd be interested to see what Vino likes, actually. Yeah, yeah,
0: good, good points. And and just for the you know listeners, just to clarify, because uh, just like any sort of you know interventional realm or body part, you know, there's lots of different terminology. So one of the ones that Sabine was mentioning was salumbra. Uh, the idea there is you're using a stent retriever in combination with the penumbra uh, suction thrombectomy system. So it's this combo where you're deploying the stent retriever across the thrombus. And then you're also using this you know, intermediate or distal access type catheter, as they're called, uh, to help capture clot. And so you're putting suction on the distal access catheter while pulling the stent retriever with the clot. And so you're doing a kind of combined approach where you're physically dragging the clot out and using suction to hopefully get it all out in, in ideally the first pass. Um, as Sabine also mentioned, the Trivo and the Solitaire do have different designs um, to date. There's no study that shows that one is superior to the other, um, but the, the Trivo is a closed cell design. Uh, I agree that it is nice that it's um, more radio opaque, uh, which is nice to see, especially when you're using the smaller devices. Um The newest iteration of the solitaire device um, has additional markers on there so you can kind of see exactly where the uh, device is being deployed. Uh, So that's some improvement they've made on their end. The solitaire device is this sort of um, not closed cell design. And and in fact, it sort of folds over onto itself, as Sabine was mentioning. It sort of has a, a slit, if you'll call it that, down the middle. And so when it's confined it actually sort of folds onto itself almost like a burrito and when it's deployed it opens up you know with with the stent like capability one of the differences from a nuance or technical standpoint with the trevo over the solitaire the trevo because it's it's a closed cell design and it is a a, a tube you know kind of like any other stent um, you can do a technique called push and fluff where you actually Unsheath the stent retriever through the microcatheter but you give it just enough of a little bit of a forward pressure to help those cells further incorporate into the clot and hopefully the idea that better clot integration to hopefully have a better you know first pass success with your thrombectomy with with neuro just like every other you know system that's out there you know pad or otherwise um you know there's there's just so many great tools. I mean, the, the degree of innovation and in manufacturing is outpacing, you know, what we can sort of figure out. And so I think sometimes you have to just sort of look at, well, what's out there, you know, for example, there's two different balloon guide catheters or, or three technically, you know, the mercy balloon guide, although I think they're going to take that off the market, you know, soon enough, cause that's owned now through striker. Um, Oh yeah, and that's an eight French balloon guide. Uh, but of course, they have their Flogate balloon guide catheter, uh, and then the you know EV three um cello balloon guide catheter, and that comes in six, seven, eight, nine French. And so, do I really need to have an eight French cello balloon guide catheter and an eight French flow gate on the shelf? I don't know. In 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 our shop, at least, you know. No. And, and frankly, I'd rather make it easier for myself and the staff and just say, if there's a balloon guide catheter, there's literally only one option. You know, um, the I only agree. other option I in agree. terms of access might be, hey, they have a really nasty looking type three arch. I don't think that balloon guide is going to get there, but I'm pretty sure a neuron max will get there.
2: No, I agree. I mean, also with the child, cello- I mean, there's all these other things to keep in mind. Like an arc or, or a lot of the intermediate catheters won't fit to an 8-French shallow, but it'll fit to a right. 9, and then, but that'll fit to an 8-French flow gate. And there's all these things that yeah. you have to think of your access below. I, we actually put an 8-French sheet, short sheet below. I don't know if you do that. Yeah, we, we do the in. same
0: thing. Yeah, I use a yeah. just a regular 8-French sheet at the groin... Uh, because yeah. even if I have to completely switch systems, everything goes through an eight French sheath, um, you exactly. know, so that's, uh, but I know some, some guys who are out there and, and we used to actually do this even in, um, my fellowship, uh, w- would always put a nine French sheet then because you could slave off of it to do blood pressure man, you know, management during the case, um, oh, wow. you know, whether with anesthesia or whatnot. And so there's, and you can still close it with an eight French angio seal. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, so there's those sort of technical nuances. And then there's sometimes, well, do you use a long sheet or a short sheet. I mean, there's like so many different variations and that's what, even for not just doing stroke, you know, myself, but, you know, and just talking with other people who do it, you know, you pick up on ideas and tips and, you know, some of the <laughs> things that seem to work for them. Uh, and, and so I, I think that, it's It's very helpful, but at the same time, at least you know uh, in in our shop and and I'm sure Sabine is probably similar for you, I'm always trying to look at how do I streamline this? How do I make this, you know, the fewest possible decisions, you know, as far as picking out what I need to do the case? Because at the end of the day, you're obviously moving really quickly. And so mm-hmm. I want to make it as the least you know sort of cumbersome or confusing, if you will. Uh, as possible. So, I mean, just, th- th- those are some of the things I think that just come over time.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say the challenge I have is when I first started uh, learning stroke two years ago, we, my guys did not really use the balloon guide. We were always going up with a shuttle and intermediate mm-hmm. catheter. And then, you know, our, our other guy started with us about a year ago, Shao Lin. And then the data also came out with the balloon guide catcher. So then there's been a shift to start using balloon guide. But when I'm on my own sometimes, I was like, ah, you know, I'm just so much more comfortable with this Neuron Max or shuttle. Right. So I go to this balloon guide, you know, but yeah, I mean, these are the little things. And then learning all these different balloon guides and all of that, it's just, it's hard when you have so many choices. And it's funny in our our neuro cart, as opposed to the rest of our lab, we have multiple choices. We have both Solitaire and Trivo. We have mm-hmm. these different intermediate catheters, and we have all all these things, and it just makes kind of the decision-making a little bit hard. Yeah. And getting the patient in the table, I'm like, okay, what do I want to open up? Do I want to go with my standard shuttle or, or Neuron Max? Do I want to go balloon? And that's just wasted of waste of time thinking where I can, you know, just be helping setting up the case, you know? Right, yeah, and, and, and
0: I mean... Um again, one of the sort of papers uh, in the literature that sort of helped push me in that direction of sort of eliminating as many choices as possible uh, was the group that's based out of Brown, uh, McTaggart, and uh, those guys there, they came out of the paper in JNIS. Uh, Basically, they evaluated their process, and they did sort of lean metric kind of analysis. And so they found that they were making, I think, something like 13 different decisions, you know, to do a stroke thrombectomy. And then so they sat down, there's, I think, three, three guys there, they sat down as a group and said, Okay, what do we want to use, you know, and so, okay, we'll use this system or this thing. And so they ended up um, basically breaking it down to like, I think, three, or maybe max four decisions, something like much more simple, um, in terms of... You know, like just that. having fewer steps, you know. And so, you know, I used a lot of that to help guide, you know, both from looking at it from a literature standpoint, but also just a practical standpoint. You know, like I said, one of the things that we used to have, and it's I think a constant evolution with our, you know, neuro or our stroke cart is uh, like I like I mentioned, just even the access, you know. I instead of having the 85 and the 95 centimeter lengths of the flow gate. Uh, Just the 95, you know, uh, just make it one option. Uh, Same thing for the Neuron Max. Instead of the 80 and the 90, just the 90. You know, that way, even if the tech or somebody's pulling it or the nurse may sometimes pull some of this stuff, there's no like, oh, man, we got the short one or I didn't get the long one or whatever. It's just there's just the one.
2: (laughs) I agree. Longer is better. I mean, it it sucks to be like, oh, no, (laughs) it's too short, you know. Yeah
0: and And I think the other you know of course cross pollination with the with the body i r side, which is nice, like you know the balloon guides are are you know nice if you're going to do like a you know parto or carto or something like that yeah. in the you know periphery side and and if you're comfortable with using them in the in the neck, you know I mean putting it through the you know gastrorenal shunt is no big deal, and then you can you can put pretty big size plugs through you know the flow gates or the nine French cellos. I think you can put like a 14 millimeter amplats at least.
2: Yeah. You can put some big stuff. I've used it and, uh, you know, it's cross-pollination for sure. Cause I, the other day I lost the coil in the, in the liver. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, I basically, I used some, I tried everything trying to snare it. I just ended up using a century. <laughs> oh, nice. But it, yeah. No, no, exactly. Yeah. It right out. It got, yeah. I got it right out. I was like, great. <laughs> that's awesome. That was awesome. Really it's an expensive, expensive coil retrieval. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, no. It, it, the cross pollination is nice too, and, and learning those the catheters, even the micro catheters. I mentioned it sometimes on Twitter because I never knew the catheters in in fellowship and body training. But they can get they are so their technology of the catheters is way advanced. I mean, you sure. can get anywhere. Yeah, you know, you can get anywhere, and it's 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 so much better. Yeah, um, but more expensive. But yeah, right. During during fellowship and even in practice, like
0: you know, sometimes you're doing just a, a diagnostic cerebral, and you know you have tortuous anatomy, especially like the verts, right? You get really mm-hmm. tortuous proximal vertebral arteries, like that V one segment, um, yeah. where you know, hey, if I if I park that five French catheter, I might dissect it or something like that. Uh, so one thing that works really well is either the two point eight French ProGrade or Renegade High Flow because. You can still do, you know, with the power injector, um, like a, you know, four for eight or a five for 10 injection through those catheters and get like basically the equivalent volume and rate of contrast as you would for a four or five French catheter without even having to like, you know, mess with all of that tortuosity and possibly dissect the vessel. Um, So I know um, I had done a bunch of cases up in Michigan. I think they ended up writing up there you know, experience with using like the ProGrade in, in particular. And so one of my, my co-fellows was a neurosurgery guy. And so same sort of thing, you know, he was pretty familiar with some of the like neuro exclusive devices. But then when I start talking about ProGrade microcatheter, which obviously we use in the visceral all the time, he's like, I don't know what that is, but that he like immediately became like a fan of that. He's like, oh, this is so easy. It's like built together and you just get it up there and you can do like a diagnostic level yeah. injection you know and so i i think that's where you know certainly at the trainee level you know um and especially the fellows like hopefully they they you know can spend time with with you know their neurointerventional colleagues and um uh, you know get comfortable as we we're talking earlier just at least with cerebral angiography um yeah. and maybe something more than that yeah i mean it's a shame i know you know northwestern has a very good neuro-IR program. Um, you know, I know one of the
2: Shibani guys, and one and of the radiologists
0: great. who's there, Samir Ansari, um, and, yeah, and, and so, so, you know, it's just...
2: I wish I had Yeah, he, he's out. I mean, we just got berated if we did anything else except, you know, lay on Lewandowski's right. feet, <laughs> you
0: know? <Yeah>. So. <laughs> no, and, and and I think that's part of what is... Uh, hopefully, ultimately, an evolution in a sense is you know the the training. You know, I think my sort of pathway to training, although it's it's more uncommon, I, I think I I feel and obviously it's a biased opinion, but there's actually a lot of advantages to doing it that way. You know, like you know you come out, you've done body interventions, PAD, you know visceral work, and so you're comfortable with catheters and microcatheterizations and you know technique. And so when you start doing neuroangiography um you know y- you're not like really learning from scratch you know you're you already are coming in with you know some some baseline skills and so that's where i hope over time with you know the re- the revamp of now with the IR residency like maybe that yeah. will start to get incorporated you know getting in time with neurointerventional and maybe even mandating it you know to a certain extent hey you need to do at least so many cerebral before you can finish your training
2: i think that'd be a great idea yeah uh you know we kind of the one thing I, I just thought about while we were talking during this discussion was that you know Vina brought up the different societies and and you know coming as a body trained person doing stroke or doing neural intervention or the other way around i mean i think th- there. i think one point as far as as undergoing training and being comfortable with these procedures is you definitely want to be involved with someone who knows what they're doing and learn it from them. I think doing a stroke, if you did not have training and you just learned about what to do, I think it would be really hard and you might put the patient in harm. You definitely want to be either scrubbed in or or watching, observing someone who knows what they do. And, And I had the opportunity, luckily, to do that with all my other partners, and I learned so much that I don't think I would have learned by just reading about it or even watching videos. So uh, it's, it's something that I brought up to the SIR, to the stroke course, that, you know, I, I think the stroke course is great, but it would be nice to have some sort of maybe national training, you know, or some observation thing where people can see procedures that they're going to be doing them in their practice, especially in the smaller hospitals. Absolutely, that was I thought
0: about. No. Yeah, I think, um, you know, to Sabine's point, uh, it's exactly a good one. You know, earlier when he was mentioning, for example, kind of the process he underwent uh, in order to get credentialed, you know, at his hospital. And of course, all politics are local, you know, in terms of what are the criteria, who's potentially doing it in the facility. But nonetheless, you know, he went through a, a very extensive type of training, you know, um, to do. One particular type of procedure, you know, stroke thrombectomy, um, but you know whether it's the number of cases that they decided is is reasonable or adequate, um, the the education hours, which I think are a huge component of it, and a lot of it goes back to some of our earlier discussions about things like patient selection. You know, I think as radiologists, we're all coming in with you know, of course, a comfort level with diagnostic imaging, but there's even within that going to be differences between how you looked at a uh, a non-contrast head CT before you were involved with stroke treatment versus after you start to mm-hmm. look at it from a different perspective. You're looking for not just a hyperdense vessel, but things like the aspect score, for example. Um, the other, you know, point that Sabine raised, which uh, really dovetails in quite nicely, is SIR and kind of the interest and momentum. You know, there's really been, you know, I, I'm a member of the neuro service line with SIR. And I can tell you, there has been actually a resurgence of energy and interest in, you know, SIR providing further neuro content, including things like the stroke course, uh, this coming year at SIR in LA, I'm going to be a co-director for the stroke course with Marty Radvani, who's another guy similar like myself, who did a body IR fellowship and a neuro IR fellowship. And I think that's, you know, um, really uh, sort of a great way to get more stroke education to body IRs who are uh, interested. Because at the end of the day, uh, I agree with Sabine, you you know, you shouldn't necessarily just, hey, okay, I listened to a podcast, I watched some videos, I went to the stroke course, I'm going to just start doing it. Uh, I think you're really potentially asking for trouble, because you're going to be judged on not the cases that went great, you're going to be judged on the cases that didn't go well. And, you know, people Mm -hmm. are going to, want to know let alone the credentialing process but more than that it's well how did you exactly get qualified you know to do these sort of cases and so i think that's something you know we'll have to work on really at a national level to figure out are there other avenues outside of didactic type or video type of learning where body irs who are interested in stroke you know can have an opportunity to do more hands-on type of training you know And, and i think you know, body interventionalists who are interested have the skill set, you know, to do stroke thrombectomy. And, and you know, as I, as I mentioned at the uh, outset of this podcast, you know, all of my partners have been doing stroke thrombectomy for a long time. And, and you know, I really compliment them for that sort of foresight and leadership to say, we want to offer patients a better care, a better standard of care. And this was well before any of the you know, thrombectomy trials. Um, and so, you know, a body interventionalist who has that kind of interest and passion for stroke, I think can do very well. I think we just need to find the ways, whether it's through podcasts and, and online webinars, those sort of things versus, and also in-person type of education to, to find ways that we can train them or get them the right kind of background knowledge. And then complement that of course, with, simulators and hands-on training, et cetera, to really make sure that you know, we're, we're helping people to help patients in a safe way.
1: Look, guys, I wanted to thank you both for joining us. This has been a fantastic discussion, and just really enlightening content for people of all levels of training. Uh, so again, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having us. And for our listeners, I just wanted to thank you all for joining us as well. And just to remind you to reach out to us at uh, at underscore backtable.com and and let us know what you want to hear Um, for everyone else. uh, We'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, everyone.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Take care.